Hey, my friend, welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My name is Lori Seitz. I'm an entrepreneur, mentor, founder of Zen Rabbit, and your instigator in saying fuck being fine. This show is for those of you who are done living with the dumpster fire and are ready to find the tools and courage to transform, to step into more success and fulfillment in both your personal and business life. You're in the right place for stories of self-discovery, gratitude, and connection. And to help you strengthen that connection to your own inner guidance, you'll find each episode has an accompanying meditation. Now let's get into it. My guest this week is Taylor Stilwell. In this episode, we're talking about standing in your truth, even when it hurts or isn't popular. She's just finished writing her first book called How to Kill Your Ex-Husband and Not Get Caught. It's about surviving divorce, co-parenting with a jackass, and loving all of it. And that basically sums up the rest of our conversation. Listen for the details of how she did it, because they are pretty remarkable. And there are a lot of lessons to apply here. The book writing is Taylor's side gig. By day, she turns tedious corporate policies into comical yet appropriate documents. When not doing either of those two activities, Taylor is living the good life in San Francisco with her wife, Stephanie, while she waits for her son to become a successful chef and support her in a manner in which she has never been accustomed. She also spends her time looking for the perfect pancake at local cafes arguing over toothpaste squeeze techniques with Stephanie and surfing with her ex-husband. Hmm, looks like she didn't kill him after all. She also says she's on a one moment she also says she's on a one woman mission to find the line between not enough and too much coffee. You know how I share the key takeaways at the end of each episode? We're into season two now, and at the end of season one a few weeks ago, I put together an overview show, as well as a PDF document of the key takeaways from the entire season. You can get that PDF of all the key takeaways for free by going to zenrabbit.com slash 2021 takeaways. There's a link in the show notes. Again, it's at zenrabbit.com slash 2021 takeaways. Hello and welcome to Fine is a Four-Letter Word. My guest today is Taylor Stillwell. Welcome to the show, Taylor. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Well, I'm glad to have you. Let's start with my first question, which is always, what were the values and beliefs you were raised with that influenced you as you were growing up? Wow, you swing for the bleachers right out of the gate. Uh, <laughs> you know it. They're, okay, so they were, they were fantastic values. What I did with them was a little wonky. But the values I was raised with was a strong connection to God. We went to church in my house. Um, you know, that was a big one. Family was really, really important. So, and I don't mean just the like the family, my mom and dad and my siblings, but you know the connection to cousins, to aunts and uncles and grandparents, and that still a big value. And the other one was really, you know, I don't know if we call it integrity per se, but it was stand in your truth. And mm. so it was. Um, 
you know, don't lie, you know, be who you are. And, and, you know, my mom, which was this, you know, I'm still grateful to this one is that was raised in Texas and she was really into women can do whatever men can do and maybe not better, but differently where it's just as good. And it, mm-hmm. she wasn't someone who was, you know, well, maybe she burned bras, I don't know, but not, she wasn't like this agro feminist running around the house. It was just like, hey, if you want to go play baseball, pick up a bat, that kind of thing. It wasn't, it was really a, a more subtle way of introducing um, femininity into um, our house and combined with feminism. As you said, it's more that theory of be who you are. If you want to play baseball, then go play baseball. Or if you want to go to dance, then do that. Right. Yeah. And you said you were raised in the South as well? Yes. Yes. I was raised in mostly Houston. And so then as you were growing up, how did, did you, those values influence you as you became a young adult, as you ventured out into the world on your own? So they, they really were fantastic because, you know, at 18, when it was time to leave for college, it wasn't, it was just like, get out and go do it, you know, because I'd been raised for 18 years, just be strong, do this, do this, do this. Oh, you know, I was five in the roller coaster at the theme park, scared the shit out of me. And I was like, no, I don't want to ride it. And my mom basically drugged me onto the thing when I wasn't tall enough, had me stand on my toes and said, suck it up. You're riding this ride. Oh, wow. (laughs) Right. I don't. I don't know. You know, parenting was really different back then. Yes, it was. But I lived through this ride that was really, it was not a kid ride. And it was like, look, do scary shit because it's probably not going to kill you. It's the stupid shit that will kill you. So in my own way, I felt pretty prepared to go live in the world. So I took a lot of those with me. When we were talking before the show, when we did our pre-show chat, You told me about an incident that happened when you were nine years old. Do you want to share that with my audience? Because I think it was it. That was another thing that helped uh, shape how you thought it it was involving Olivia Newton-John. I was going to say, can you remind me which one? Because there was a couple. Yes. Okay. It wasn't the one where it was dressed as a bag of chips. Okay. So wait, that sounds interesting, too. (laughs) not quite as interesting but so the olivia newton john thing was she was like my idol she was my first concert i went to you know it was on a school night and i was just over the moon in love with her i thought she was the coolest thing ever and so you know then you know i go to school and i'm telling the kids i went to the concert like the night before and some girl in the bathroom made a comment that that that's gross because olivia newton john was bisexual And did I know how gross that was? And first of all, did I even know what that meant? And I didn't even really understand what that was in fourth grade, but I was quickly told. But I was also told by these same girls that Olivia Newton-John was gonna go to hell because she liked women and, and how gross that was and just a bad thing. And so they leave the bathroom giggling and I'm in the bathroom just devastated because my idols clear, I guess, bisexual, and that's a bad thing. And I didn't know any of that. Mm-hmm. And it really, it really shaped a lot of who I was. And, you know, and I just went home busted and didn't know how to how to process that or what to do with it. So I was just kept it to myself. I brought it up because it is such a contrast to what you said, the values and beliefs you were raised were, 
with were. As far as be who you are and don't be ashamed of that. And then they were, then, you know, your peers are telling you that this person was a bad person or was going to hell because she was being who she was and that wasn't okay. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting when like inside the walls of my home, here's what I'm being taught and trying to live it, which that was not my experience of how a lot of people were being raised around me. There was a lot of judgment, a lot, you know, I heard the words going to hell, kids threw that around a lot over the simplest things. And that's a scary thought as a 10 year old that that's where you're spending eternity for nothing, you know, really. And so it's, when you've got a big system at play, it's it's hard because the people you know that were raising me and that you know the ones that love you and are guiding you through the world, they're a little different than a lot of the world around us, and so the the you know that's what you hear, and especially when you get a little bit older and you as a teenager and you start listening to your peers who are probably idiots. They, right. love you, they love you, but they're idiots. And when their values of their families are different than my parents, I mean, I think my parents are really, were really progressive in what they taught my family. Mm-hmm. But it's it's hard to combat the system at large. It's right because, and it's interesting what our minds at that age absorb and process, and then carry with us forever they you know we get programmed and then those thoughts just run on a loop and we never question where they came from or whether they're serving us or not so how did that as you got older then you know you had kind of a dual fighting thoughts going through your head or programming which we should say i think so i mean i think we all do to to some extent for sure for sure so It's one of those things where I didn't know what to do with it, so I made up a story about it, and then let me just push it down as far as I can and act like I didn't hear it, and let's start listening to other music that maybe is not Olivia Newton-John, or drawing a mustache of Olivia Newton-John on my Grease album cover. Like, you know, but but of course, John Travolta's great, all of those things. So I think I I dealt with it the best way a nine or 10-year-old could. So... I mean, that's all I could do. And I think that's what I did with a lot of things. And again, they start with the values I've taught was taught was one thing. And then the story I put on them is a, was a little different. Exactly. Because again, this nine-year-old, you know, didn't want to hear that they're the person that they idolize is going to hell. And I certainly didn't want to be the person that behaved in a way that would get them to hell. Yeah. So let's skip ahead to your adulthood, right? So, cause yeah, nine-year-olds do that stuff. And like you said, they're idiots. So, um, (laughs) I mean, really, would you uh, like at this point when we look back and go, I wouldn't listen to a nine-year-old telling me like that wouldn't. Yeah. Anyway, I think you listen to a nine-year-old's heart, right? Because I yes. think they have really cool hearts. If you can throw away the muck of what's been put on them by their their system. Right, right, right. So, okay. So you grow up, you go off to school, you get to a place in your life where everything's fine. Because, I mean, the, the name of the show is fine is a four-letter word. So, you know, we oh. got to go there. Where, yeah. where everything was fine. Oh, Tell us about that. Wasn't it awful? It was just awful. And it was more, you know, growing up through, 
you know, just growing up, I heard, I heard stuff and we'll, I'm going to stick with sexuality because that's kind of where this started and going. There's a lot that happened that we could focus on, but I'm going to go with sexuality. And in high school, there were a couple of girls that, you know, I guess were gay and man, were they ostracized and rumors went around about them, all of that thing. And so for me, it's not something I was even willing to look at in myself because I saw before I was kind of even ready to explore that, I saw things happening in the world. I saw in my small world mm-hmm. and I was like, God, it just was so unappealing. And so, well, why would you do that? And it was, it was all unconscious. Every bit of this was unconscious. And, you know, so it's like, okay, this is what you do after high school. You go to college, you get a degree, you study what you want, and then you get a job in the real world. And then you get married and you have your children and you have Sunday dinners with your family. And it's not that that's a bad life at uh-huh. all. It's fine. It really was, it's a fine life. It's just what was, <laughs> it's what was, what I saw people around me doing, what I saw, what a good girl did, mm. what good girls do. And I just, wasn't good and I wanted to be good so badly so I'm sure you were still good it just wasn't that definition of good it wasn't that definition that I had put on what what do good girls do and to be you know respectable right yeah and so you know that's so you followed those rules I did that I put on myself really no one put them on me that's the kicker I did it and I yeah, I think when we look rules. back, we all really did it to ourselves, whatever that was. We, like we absorbed that information and trans, translated it to mean X, and then we acted on it and did those things. Like it's our, all, everything's our personal responsibility once you get to be an adult. Oh, it totally is. And I look at like when I, in hindsight, I'm like, the church I went to was, again, pretty darn liberal. And you know, the youth minister was fantastic. And I, I love him to this day. And he did not like preach what a lot of the other people I heard were saying. Mm-hmm. Yet, again, for whatever reason, the, 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 the mass voices were louder. The negative comes in louder and stronger, I'm guessing, because we as animals, as, you know, evolutionary things that we needed to protect ourselves from the dangers. So we pay more attention to the the negative than yep. to the positive. Put more sure. weight on the negative just I as a protection. I think that's a really good point. Yeah. So And and to now we have to stop and analyze that we're doing that in order to correct it or yes. or counter it. Now that we're aware right. of it. Yeah. 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 And I went on and, you know, after college, went to grad school and after grad school, got a job and just, you know, by absolute one of those, you know, nuggets of the universe met the man that would become my husband. And um, and he was just such a perfect fit for where I was at the time. And Mm. so. You know, and he's a good person. So, you know, he just folded right into exactly what life should look like. So, but he had just enough um, fuckery and shenanigans in him that he appealed to me. Just, <laughs> just, and just, and it was that also was subtle, but uh, it was enough to be really attracted to him because he fit the mold, but he kind of broke it too. So, yeah. Okay, so he checked all the boxes. 
He did check all the boxes, you know, successful, good looking, lived in California. So, um, you know, but did have a, he too had came with the value of a connection to God and family and spirituality and all. And, you know, so it was really interesting that our values lined up. The, I don't, I, I think me looking at and living my truth might, it might be in my core. I'm someone who likes to go really deep into myself and not everybody does that. So I don't, right. I'm not sure that's a place we lined up on. But at the time when I met him, I didn't need him to. I liked him how he was on the surface. Right. As we grow and mature, we learn more about ourselves and not everybody comes along on that journey. So That's, that's what makes it so difficult because you want them to, but you can't force them to. Right. And I was, that was so sad to me for such a long time. And because, and how I saw it was if, you know, I guess I'm going up the stairs and growing and he has no desire to follow me and that's devastating. But I think the truth was it was a fork in the road really mm -hmm. more than me. I went one way and he went another instead mm -hmm. of, you know, I think that's a much more gentle way of looking at it than I did when we were, you know, going through a divorce. You know, when we yeah. went through a divorce, I'm like, he won't evolve. And now, you know, it's again, inside, I'm like, no, I think it was just a fork in the road where he went one way and I went another. When you're at that place, though, it's almost like you, again, have that protectionism mechanism for yourself. So you craft it in your mind as he won't grow with me. Right. Because, right, right because you're trying to also justify your reason for not staying in well if he if i say it that way that's in my mind exactly that's reason for divorce and then it's the reason i'm not the asshole right i just needed to not be the asshole i you know again but it just was what it was yeah because you're the one who chose to leave right i i am the one who chose to leave and i yeah well I, you know and i think that's you know i write about this in my book i think that both people choose to leave because when you're at an impasse and you say, Hey, let's figure out how do we walk through this impasse? And someone says, no, there's nothing to walk through. I think that's their own way of choosing not to stay. Mm, good point. I, I think when there's a divorce, so I think both people chose to leave the marriage, but someone has to say the words, I want a divorce. Yes. And, and it's like that right there. It was interesting because we're talking about fine. Um, you know, I was so, you know, f fine in the latter part of my marriage. It's fine. We're good. It's fine. Look at this. I'm respectable. And, and it wasn't obviously. And I think that's what you get at on your show. But when I said I want a divorce, I finally felt something um, that wasn't fine. I felt a yeah. lot of things. And it's interesting, again, the irony is that you have to say, I want a divorce, because that was the biggest truth and lie I ever told. Nobody wants a divorce. No, Nobody no one wants, wants it. wants a divorce. But um, what I, you know, the truth would be, I want a marriage that works differently, or I want this, and I'm not getting it. So, you know, someone has to say it. So I said it. Yeah. It's so difficult. You know, a lot of times people focus on if 
the other person says, it's not working for me and I want out, that the person who's left behind is, I don't want to call it victim. It's not victim, but that there's more sympathy for that person. Oh, was there ever. Was there ever. And, and it's just as difficult, if not more. I don't know. I mean, I was in the same position you were in terms of being the one to proactively say, this isn't working and step away. So I, I guess I'd really don't, we can't necessarily compare <laughs> the sympathy levels, but, uh, but I think tr traditionally there's more sympathy for the person who's left than the person who's yeah. leaving. That was certainly and, my experience. And imagine saying I'm leaving him. Oh, and by the way, I'm gay. Because so uh, then the natural conclusion is, well, oh my God, that poor man, he married a lesbian, right? You know, and he didn't stand a chance. And the truth is I am gay and I stand by that. I, that is a truth I will stand in forever. I will also say it is quite possible as a gay woman, I might've been able to stay married to him. Because I, at one point, I did love him so much. And I think that sometimes, you know, Carl Jung says we fall in love from the waist up. So yes. I think that in a different world, I could have stayed with him. So the sexuality was not what ended that marriage. Um, but since, you know, in getting to know myself, and I think, I think being in an intimate relationship with someone is a great way to get to know who you are, because you've got a mirror in front of you 24 hours a day showing you who you are. And so I certainly got to know who I was. And, you know, I think there's a truth in getting to know that when, and really looking at, could I stay in the marriage? And I was like, you know, Hey, I, I'm actually willing to try. I said, mm -hmm. knowing this because there was a, a number of years where I was very sexually attracted to this man and it worked. And so, you know, I was like, I would like to try that to find that place again and see, is it findable? And, you know, but that means we'd have the other issues are still here. There's this big ball of issues that has nothing to do with that, that we need to work through. And when you're told, well, those aren't issues, no, your sexuality is the issue. There's nothing to work through. That doesn't leave you much of a choice. So I really right. wasn't, left, I wasn't left with much of a choice. There's so. only so much compromise. Of course, relationships involve compromise, but when it involves compromising who you are at your core, and again, not talking about the sexuality piece at all, but involving yeah. your values, your what you stand for, what you want from your life, then that's where you, you can't continue that kind of compromise. That would have put me back being fine, right? Yeah. Just, I would have been fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. You know, when, yeah. you know, for me, if I stayed in that place, I would have been probably highly suicidal. And that's a strong word, but I, that's, it was just such a, again, subtle level of misery that I, that I didn't share with anyone because I just had so much shame. Like it's just, it, I had so much shame around not, not being what I should have been. There are a lot of people in those shoes in the past and still today. So you sharing this is beautiful because it helps other people know that they're not alone and that this doesn't have to be the way it stays. That's how it was yesterday. That doesn't mean that has to be how it is tomorrow. 
Absolutely. And like going through a divorce, you know, and again, you know, I, I wasn't the popular one in it. And I had people, some people that supported me, but it's just, it's, you know, the whole family structure falls apart, in-laws from both sides and, and the right. ideas they had. And you are crushing not only like to, to be out of that position, I was crushing so many people's dreams. And that is a very fucked up, shitty place to be. And so it really was like, you know, what? why would I hurt so many people just to stand in my truth? And then I was like, well, I was first of all taught to. And second of all, I had a baby at that point. I'm like, what kind of parent am I going to be if I stay somewhere that's not a fit for me? Because that's what I'm teaching him to do. Right. I'm saying you stay to make other people happy. And that is not what I wanted to teach him. And so, you know, the couple of years after my divorce were the hardest. I, just I, I, I still kind of um, pat myself on the back for making it out of those without being bitter or resentful or any of the things, you know, it was so close to breaking me, but it but it didn't. And I think in humanity, we all have that one little thread. If we can just hold on to it. Just, you know, it does end up okay on the other side. And it, and it did. And it took a lot of work and a lot of, um, a lot of um, what, what um, one of my dear friends, Debbie Ford, would call bathroom floor moments. I think Liz Gilbert yeah. refers to those too, where you were just on your bathroom floor wailing and, you know, all the, all the orifices have stuff coming out. There's just, there's not, there's tears, there's spit. It's not <laughs> right. like this, the growl, like where someone is probably going to call the cops because there's some serial killer next door. And you're like, no, it's just, I'm going through a, you know, a divorce, which is a death with no pie. And um, no pie. <laughs> no one. Well, when someone dies, they bring you a pie. A divorce, no one true. brings you a pie. You're just sitting there alone. And so, yeah. you know, after all of that, it took some time putting it together. And what I will say is, you know, I'm, I'm now 18 years, 19 years on the other side of this. And it took a lot of work on a lot of people's parts. Uh, mine mostly. I'll be really honest, but a lot of people played into it where, you know, I am, you know, I'm, I will say that I, I, I just, I still love my husband so dearly. Are we best friends in the world? We're not. But if I texted him right now and said, God, I'm having a crappy week. Would you meet me for a cup of coffee? There is a 99% chance he'd say, absolutely, God, what's going on? You know, or, yeah. you know, we, we'll still go surf together sometimes. I'm like, hey, you want to meet up and you surf and grab a burrito? Yeah, let's do it. You know, and and it's just really amazing. And, you know, he's remarried and he has other children and I'm remarried to a woman. And um, and, I, and I feel like I'm not going to hell. Pretty sure about that. I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure pretty I agree sure. with you. I'm not, I'm, I'm not pretty sure. I'm a hundred percent sure. Yeah. And I think the hell was what I sat in, in that bathroom, you know, yes. thinking of, that was hell. But um, that is my belief as well, that hell is not a place that you go to after this life. It is something that we create in this life and we can move through it. You're not damned there forever. No. And it's like, and I look at like, we were during the pandemic, um, 
my wife's a photographer, so she has this ultra long sports lens. And so we we live, you know, in the San Francisco area and we would go, me, my son, who's now, he was 19, my ex-husband and his 11, 12 year old son, and not his current wife. She would come a time or two. She didn't come regularly because she was working through the pandemic, but we would all sit there and meet up. And this is when we meet up and surf and take my wife to pictures and we'd switch surfboards and play around. And it, I think this is the best thing is that I, one of the best conversations I've had is someone came up because it was regulars there and they said, oh, question. They're like, you guys are clearly family, but I'm so confused. I said, <laughs> And I said, oh, what, what, why? I don't, what do you mean? And they're like, who goes with who? I'm like, oh, I'm like, okay, so that's my son out there on that surfboard. And I said, and that this little guy standing beside me, who's not so little anymore. And I have my arm around his shoulder. I'm like, this is my ex-husband's boy with his wife. And the handsome bald guy out there with the grin that won't quit is my ex-husband. And the lady with the long lens is my wife. And we meet up and surf every day. And they were like, you guys are just, this is the epitome of, of the modern family. I was just going to say that modern family. Mm-hmm. And I just was like, I, what I loved was that all they saw was a family and yeah. didn't know who went with who. Now you stick around us for a week. It's going to be very clear who goes with who. But in those minutes, you know, it was just so hard to tell because you know, my wife, you know, plants big kisses, you know, on the cheek of my ex-husband. And because he's bald, they have this conversation about, have you done something different with your hair? You know, and it's just, you know, it's as like, what a compliment that they couldn't tell. All they saw was a family that loved each other. And yeah, that was not the couple that got divorced. That was not the couple that got divorced, you know, 18, 19 years ago. And that didn't just happen. So can you share a few of the techniques or the tools that you used to work through some things to get yourself to that point? Do, do you meditate? Do you journal? Do, obviously, you surf. I'm sure that helped. <laughs> Surfing's new. I started that during the pandemic. But oh, I, okay. I, do med- I do meditate. I do journal. Um, I try to do yoga. You know, 25 years into it, I still can't do downward dog without falling over. But um, I try it. But I, I do, I'm a big proponent of therapy or whatever self-help you need. Um, self-help books, there's always one I'm reading, always. And, what are you reading right you know, now? Uh, I am rereading Getting the Love You Want by Harville Hendricks because it's just, it's got some good tips in it. And it's really about teaching yourself how to love yourself. And so, and I, I'm always, like there's some connection to God that I'm always working on. Right now, I'm not much of a church goer. But I, I think there's value in church. Um, but that's I'm not much of a church goer right now, but I think there's that. But the biggest thing that I went through when I was pregnant, I had every pregnancy scare you could have. And um, so the fact that I got to have my son was he's just, I always look at him as my miracle. And he is, I tell people this, he is my why for everything. That's just, so I look at what, you know, going through a divorce or, you know, redoing custody when he was five or redoing child support or whatever. Um, it was always for him. What is in his best interest, not what's in mine. 
Mm-hmm. And which is why I left the marriage. Really, what is in a way in my son's best interest, which inadvertently was me living a truth. But it was, you know, fighting fighting with your your ex is never in your child's best interest. It's just not, in my opinion. Now that doesn't mean you do whatever they say or you tolerate abuse. I wasn't. I'm not suggesting that. But there are ways to not fight. And so. You know, what I would do when he was three and didn't want to go to his dad's, maybe he was two, and he would scream and pitch a fit because he didn't want to go. And not because anything bad was there. He was just, he had been around me the mo- most of the time. Right, I was right. Like, what was familiar. Me, he was, It was. So I was like, well, let me find a Mother's Day out for him, even though I didn't need it. Let me find a daycare for him on the day his dad, can he go to daycare two days a week? So his dad picks him up from daycare. Because then there wasn't that goodbye that way, you know, and when he was, you know, five and he would have problems and say, this is what happened at my dad's house. And, you know, I don't understand this instead of saying, well, that's because your dad's an asshole or, you know, whatever. I would Mm -hmm. say, oh, well, what do you think about that? And if you wanted it to go a different way, how would that look? And I was like, okay, so maybe you could imagine that because imagination is really important. And I said, you know, and. So it was really teaching him how to how to wander through life instead of and my whole goal was to never talk bad about his dad ever. Not once. And that's so powerful. If we disagreed with somebody um, with each other, I don't know what his dad did that. But I knew that I would just say, you know, you don't you're not don't you ever fight with your friends at school and call them names that doesn't mean you don't like them but you you fix it and you say sorry and you don't do it again those kind of things that really it was all teachable parenting moments through the whole thing and my son loved drawing and he was quite terrible at it and still is but um i carried around pictures he drew and i wrote on the top of those pictures this is why you do this and that was like when we were we were in court for gosh a couple of years when he was older redoing some custody stuff that was the cover of the binder so that every time i had to go meet with the attorneys i saw the reason and you know and then i would find someone that a you know a trusted you know my my girlfriend at the time who's my wife now or a friend who I could go and say that motherfucker I hope he gets run over by a truck or all of those things and get it get it out where energy wasn't in my house and you know whatever and it was really just really showing him that it's your dad love him for who he is i'm your mom love me for who i am we're totally screwed up people some of the time and we make bad decisions so you know whenever his dad would do something he didn't like and he was mad at him i'd try to point out something that i had done in the past that he didn't like and how he and i had worked through it so he just to show you can work through it with your dad so that's such a higher level of looking at things it's so impressive that you were able to do that through what I'm sure was some painful places for you. And like you said, sharing it with friends or therapists or whoever to not burden a child with that kind of thing. Well, and it, you, it's not their cross to bear. Right. It is not their cross to bear. It is mine and his dad. So that's what we did. And it was really, you know, one of the, one of the tricks that I found was to start telling my son stories about his dad because he had no recollection of us ever together. Mm-hmm. And so 
And I would find stories that I loved. And in doing that, I really, in my own new and healthy way, fell in love with his dad all over again. And so the habits that were just good habits, it was, you know, I've heard somewhere, I don't know what it is, but um, someone said once about behavior, like get your ass in the chair and your heart will follow. So what I did was I'm like, okay, I can do these things that are the right things to do, even though inside I'm spinning. But eventually I was like, let me tell you about how I met your dad and let me drive you to this this cafe that I had, your dad and I used to have breakfast at and I'm gonna order a meal for you. And I ordered it and he goes, what's this? I'm like, this is your dad's favorite meal. And it was really <laughs> introducing him to this side of his dad he didn't know because it was the side yeah. with me. And what he saw was at once upon a time, there were these two people that really loved each other that wow. just really loved each other. And so, and I was like, he goes, oh, and when my, what did my dad do this? And when did my dad do this? And it was stories only I could tell because they were my memories. Right, right. So ah, it was tear really, up here. <laughs> I, I just, I just loved it. And we still do it to this day when opportunity presents. And I'll be, you know, because I'm in living in San Francisco now and I lived with his dad in San Francisco. So sometimes I kept all the old pictures. I wasn't someone who threw away the love letters and the pictures. I have them all. So sometimes if we're going to be like, if my son's in town, I'm like, hey, you want to go grab, grab something to eat or go for a walk? I'll purposely take a picture where I know we're going to drive by it. I'm like, oh, hey, come here. Let me show you this picture. See, here's where this is your dad and I at this beach that you and I are at now. And here's, you know, and he, he's like, and he'll be like, but why is this happening? And I'm like, he's like, why do you have like a big stain down your shirt? I'm like, oh my gosh, because we were riding a scooter and I thought I could drink coffee while I was riding a scooter and it didn't fit through the home. <laughs> and it's just these stories that he now has because, you know, most kids, their parents get divorced when they're a little older. And so they have at least some memories and he doesn't, but at least he has stories of memories. Yeah. That family history that still exists the, through the stories. History still exists because it happened. There yeah. was, a, you know, and that's the whole, whole, whole point of my book that I just recently wrote. It yeah. What's always, that called? Uh, it's called how to kill your ex-husband and not get caught. Yes. Because it was just, and it's, it's, it's a love story. It really is. It starts, I think that I, you know, when I was looking at all, when I was going through the divorce and looking at all these books on the market, they're all about surviving after divorce, thriving without, you know, whatever, joint custody with a jerk and all, all of those can be helpful. Um, but they all seem to miss the love story that started it. And so right. my book is really, it is a love story to my son. So that is amazing. I really appreciate you being here and sharing your stories with us because I know that there are people listening who are going through similar things and who can find strength and courage in your story. Uh, thank you. So I mean, thank you. We all have it. It's just, getting out of fine to get it. Yeah. Before we close out, I have to ask you the, the other question I ask every single one of my guests, and that is, what is your hype song? It's Eminem, Lose Yourself. It's nice. Love Eminem. I mean, and I, I actually, and that's a tool I should have said. I listen to it at least five times a week. All right. Well, we'll put a link to that song 
in the show notes. And if somebody wants to get in touch with you, wants to get your book, how do they do that? So the book, I'm shopping publishers right now for the book. So, but if they want to get in touch with me, I can give you that information for you to put in show notes. Okay. Does that help? Are you, I mean, are I'm, you on, uh, can they find you on social media? Where do you hang out? I do hang out on social media and um, I have Facebook and Instagram a website and it's just, you know, author, they could look up author Taylor Stillwell and for Stillwell, it's one L in the still, two in the well. Okay. Awesome. Yes. I will definitely put links in the show notes for all of your connection areas cool. as well. Thanks Thank so much you. for joining me today, Taylor, on Fine is a Four-Letter Word. Such a pleasure. Thank you. Before I get into the key takeaways for this episode, let me invite you to go to zenrabbit.com to set up a complimentary chat with me so you can get some clarity around your values and direction and a strategy to help get you on the right path for this coming year. I only do a couple of these calls a week. There's no obligation, no pressure, just an insightful conversation. Commit to making 2022 the best year yet. Go to the Fuck Being Fine page on zenrabbit.com to schedule. Now on to the key takeaways. Here we go. Number one, one of the lessons Taylor learned or beliefs that was instilled in her as a child was to stand in your truth and be who you are. Don't be ashamed of who you are. Own it. Number two, not everyone you meet and invite into your life is going to be a good fit for the entire journey. That's often hard to accept because you might want them to come along with you, but you can't force them to. And that's not a reflection on you in any way. It's simply you choose one fork in the road and they choose another. Number three, look at the hard thing you're going through right now and remember why you're doing it. For Taylor, it was the best interest of her son living her truth, even though it was grueling and it tore apart the whole family structure and the dreams of people beyond just her and her husband, was in her son's, and really everyone involved, best interest. Number four, when you're going through a difficult situation like a divorce, you often get so, so close to a breaking point. But if you can just hold on to that one little thread it does end up okay on the other side. Taylor mentions her friend Debbie Ford's term of bathroom floor moments, and we all know what she's talking about. Number five, I'm going to keep Taylor's definition of a divorce, death with no pie, in mind from now on. That's exactly what it is. Hmm, maybe we could start bringing our friends who are going through a divorce a pie. We can start a new movement. Number six, I think the highest level, most admirable thing Taylor has been able to do is share the love story of her and her son's father with her son. Even when they were going through terrible court battles and insane behaviors as he was growing up, she maintained peace in front of him and gave him the gift of stories of the good memories. May we all find the ability to do that in our own lives because Living in and from a place of love and gratitude just feels better, so much better than living in anger and resentment. 
Once again, you can get the PDF of all the key takeaways from season one for free by going to zenrabbit.com slash 2021 takeaways. Thanks for being here and subscribing to Find is a Four-Letter Word. Please share this show with a friend or a colleague. If you're feeling especially generous, leave a review so other people like you can discover the show too. It's on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Amazon Music, Stitcher, and all the major podcast directories. You can join me on social too. On Instagram, it's zen underscore rabbit. You can find links to the other platforms at zenrabbit.com. Before you go, remember to take a moment to think about what you're grateful for today. Lastly, you can find this week's meditation queued up right after this episode. And if no one's told you this week, I'm proud of you. Take good care.